And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hold That Podcast podcast on a weird, weird Monday. Where is Monday, right, Brody? It is Monday. It is indeed Monday. Monday. You know, the game was so late on Saturday that I've lost track of time. Um, as we all know, what an unfortunate Saturday for the LSU football program. Uh, a terrible loss. Uh, just bad. But before I go on my rant, Brody, because we, I do have emotions to tell. Can you give me a quick synopsis of your thoughts on the game objectively? I will keep. Uh, I will say LSU had a game pretty much 100% in control. Defense played a good football game. Passing game got off to a great start. And basically LSU's run game is so non-existent right now. It could not move the chains. It could not put the game away. And then eventually Bo Nix's slippery self just basically took a game that LSU tried to give them five different ways. And eventually Auburn you know, gave it to him. Were you surprised by any of it? Um, a little. You- I, I mean, I was definitely surprised by like, how well the pass rush did and yet how well much it couldn't take down Bo Nix. That definitely surprised me. Um, I think it surprised me. Not even surprised because we predicted it. We, I think I predicted in every single way how this would go wrong. I actually, I nailed it. <laughs> but, but <laughs> got it. Uh, but uh, no, it was surprising to see like how far it's gone. That it's not just like, man, that stinks. You run the ball and you're only getting second and eight. It's like, no, it is now so far gone that they are now passing the ball 12 straight times in the fourth quarter. I know we're going to get to that in a minute, but that I, that I think was shocking. But I, the overall result is almost exactly what I anticipated. Right, exactly. Okay, that is a good segue into how I feel about things because two days later, I mean, as we were talking about before we hit record, it was such a long day. I was even more mad at them for making me stay up so late. You know, we, we had a great day, even with the rain. Tailgating was awesome. The energy was there. The buzz was around. It was a big game. And for most of the game, it was awesome. And then that happened. And then, you know, you get home at 115 or 130, just completely exhausted. And you're like, why do I do this to myself? But, um, you know, your point about the passes really have me feeling, and this is a very overarching dramatic thing, but it's just everything is so wrong and antithetical to what I as a fan think LSU should be and what they have been. I mean, the data is there. It is a top five job in the country. It is a premier program with all the resources and all the in-state talent that you could want. Uh, and especially here with fewer competition for that in-state talent, really. Um, it's just hard to think that we're here and it feels like we're past the point of thinking that last year was an aberration. That... You know, they're three and two right now. So uh, quick math, that is, they are eight and seven in, since the NCAA title game in 2000, early 2020. Um, I don't know where we go from here. I mean, walking out of the game, if you would have asked me then, it, I would have said I wouldn't be surprised if Ed was gone this week. That feels a little reactive, and I agree with that. 
<laughs> and in a perfect world, I don't want him gone. I want him to win out. I, I like. It's hard for me to think of someone more theoretically suited for LSU's head coaching job than Ed Ogeron. But man, if you go look at the records and you, if you, if you looked into the door into my heart, this feels like the Jerry Donardo era. Era, and I was young then, but I was very much sentient and very much into it. Um, it sucked. It was big trash. And I'm very, very worried that that's where we are descending. And with the rest of the schedule, I mean, I don't know if you've looked much at the Jared Donardo era, Brody. Do you know much about him besides yeah, him being yeah, a big good bit, yeah. Oh, and, and former... Former no, Indiana he, coach, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, so his last few... I mean, he had a great couple years. He started off, he, he took over after Curly Hallman, which is the name that we do not speak lightly around here. Um and his last years was four and seven and three and eight. And it's not hard to make a correlation where last year was Ed's four and seven year because if we're being honest, if we would have gone a full 12, who knows? Um, it's very hard for me to say. I don't think they're going to go three and eight this year. I mean, I don't think they're going to lose out. They're not going to lose out. But that's the feeling and that's the tenor that I feel as a fan and that I know that I'm not alone in feeling that as a fan you know, among this fan base. And it just, it, it was the crystallization of, of that moment where, you know, you have the whole, the whole stadium was there. It was an awesome atmosphere and they played great for about 45 minutes. And then the moment that you look for LSU that had, that should have the best in recruiting or a top five recruiting class and an LSU program that has run the ball too much over its history. And now cannot even, pretend like it can run the ball and they go 12 straight passes and they lose the game. And you know, the minute that Bo Nix slipped away from that one on that, the, the ultimate scoring drive, I was like, I know what's going to happen. Like he slipped away from one third down. And I was like, man, we're toast because they could run the ball. Their offensive line was getting a push. They, they looked like what you should be doing. And I hate it because I'm still a Bo Nix hater. I, I think a better team swallows him up four times and he doesn't get to look like some trashy Heisman that he looked like on trashy Heisman. Love that on Saturday night. It's just, I, I, I came out of that game. I was like, I still don't think Bo Nix is a good quarterback. No, he's, he's a great running back, man. I, I don't know. He's shifty. He, he clearly, clearly was the antidote to whatever LSU was doing. But like, it was so frustrating because even as a fan, if somebody, beats our ass and is like i'm better than you i'm like damn crazy they were better than us i did not feel like leaving that way and that sucks so it feels like a terrible crosser as it feel i mean i know we've alluded to it um it feels like we're here and i'm i'm totally kind of drained as a fan right now even two days later um i don't know i don't know what game we win outside of the homecoming game i really don't um, luckily I think A&M is bad and that's at home, but I, I mean, who knows what, who the head coach is going to be by then? I, I don't know. It's just a lot of things floating through my mind. I know that was kind of a ramble, but I, I, I feel like that is also like the emotional state of the fan base is what I just, I, I like to think that I'm probably the average of that. So is that the sense you're getting? How, how do you think that's irrational? No. Tell me where I'm wrong. 
No, uh, by the way, I, I, how fun is it that I think when you signed up for this podcast, I bet you were like, yeah, man, we're just going to like talk LSU all the time. It's going to be fun. It's like my day-to-day life. I love this. And, I had, now, you're, and now you're like, I, I, a, did, I did not I'm anticipate a great dark, dark Mondays of just somberness and like I have to talk about how I feel. Um, it's okay. I, 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 will, I will be here for the up t- upswing too, whenever that is. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, everything you said is absolutely accurate and- you know, I think the point, the most important point you made is just the point of what evidence is there kind of that things are going to improve. And I think that's the thing where you could, and by the way, before I say this, most of these things are rational. You can explain away so many things of the past 18 months. Like you can, and it would be almost valid. Like you can, there is a rational explanation for every single part of 2020 that you can say makes an outlier. And there's so much stuff even this year that you can say, hey, man, like this happened, this happened, this happened. And every one of those is on its own in an island kind of true. But then the longer it goes, the more and more it's just who you are. The longer it goes, it's like mm-hmm. this is just the situation. And again, I still stand by 2020 is a little bit of just a nonsense outlier. But at the same time, it was an outlier that was able to go that far south because of a lot of the people running that program. And I think the tough thing right now is just that concept of what evidence do you have that things are going to get better soon? What, I mean, yes, you can point to like recruiting classes and talent, sure. But right now the recruiting classes are great. So it's not like this whole roster, junior through freshman, are top five classes. And I think that's what makes this so challenging. There is not much evidence that things are going to quickly improve. So I am not team fire a coach, let alone tears after a title. Like in a a vacuum perfect world, no, I don't think I know Jean, like all that. But at some point, and this is my thoughts. These are just the conversations that are happening up in those offices Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's much confidence that things are getting better right now. And you point to the run game, and it's and you point to coordinator hires that haven't worked out from Pelini to Linehan now to to Jake Peets, who I, I think we'll get to Peets in a minute. I don't think Peets should be like written off, but I think Peets is just very much learning and it's not there yet. I think that's a yeah. fair thing to say. I think Jake Peets, there's a lot Jake Peets does that is really good, and there's a lot that's just like proof that he's not there to be the head of a top five program yet or yep. uh, offensively. So I think it's really challenging and I, and I don't know what, what I'm sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought, but the thing is these next five games, you are an underdog in every single one of them. You mm-hmm. are, that is just the reality unless things change quickly. And if that happens, each loss compounds the other one. And all of a sudden recruiting each, each one fan apathy, all those things, they just keep steamrolling. And here's the thing. We're coming off one of I – mean, honestly, here's my point. Look at this Monday press conference. It was one of the weirder press conferences I can remember at LSU in a, in a, in a few years. Ed Ogeron opens his press conference by going out of his way to basically say, I need to start by saying this. Everything that happens, I take responsibility for. And I will always take responsibility for what happens here. And the fact that he felt a need to do that is anyone with you know paying attention knows – that Saturday, he basically said, he kind of threw Jake Peets under the bus a little bit and talked about how the timeouts were kind of, and the constant need for, you know, timeouts for, because the clock's running and that, you know, they, have, they never have a play ready and they can never go tempo. He basically threw Jake Peets under the bus saying, you know, the play takes too long to get in and when it comes in, he tries to change it again and all that and just threw him under the bus a little bit. And I mean, there was even a few other things where he kind of did that. and he And he got criticized all weekend for that. 
And he's a history of doing that with other coordinators and things like that. So he had to start his press conference saying that. And then he got pretty much torched all press conference, man. But some of the tougher questions he's been asked in a few years, just talking about what's going on with this offense. How is this all wrong? Like, are you going to bring Steve Ensminger in to fix things? All this stuff. And then... It ends after 10 minutes, and to be clear, there was like seven questions left in the Zoom queue, like, and there would have been more, to be honest, and you know, mm. just seven so far, and it was like normally 10 to 15 minutes left. And basically, there's like an audio issue where the next guy's question isn't being heard, and Ojan's like, is that it? And he walks mm. off and just leaves the press conference 10 to 15 minutes early, mm. and just you know, a little behind the scenes, I was told, he was told, there are more questions left, and he just walked off anyway. So there, it is just a very... It's just becoming slight. I'm sorry, I'm going off for like five minutes straight here, but it's no, just no, becoming a good. messier and messier situation that just feels like a program where things are just, you know, getting off the rails a little bit. And I, last thing I'll say before I put it back to you, this is a talented program. And even if you watch this game or even the UCLA game, there is evidence that they can win any football game. They can. They're talented enough. Even stuff Saturday looked really good at times. It's not over, over. It is not. But and they could turn it around and if they go like eight and four somehow, all of a sudden it's like, wow, look what he did here. But he's capable of that. I don't ever rule that out. But yeah. it is looking more and more like a program where things are just kind of getting worse, and that's where the tough conversations have to begin. If they go eight and four, I will die of happiness. And I <laughs> see the fact that I just said that and it was a legitimate thing is an indictment on all of this, by the way. Because if you'd have told me before the year that LSU would go eight and four. I would have probably been kind of bummed. I mean, I'd say, yeah, maybe a couple things broke wrong. Um, but in kind of a bummer, but okay. And I guess, you know, with a big recruiting class coming in next year, like experience, run it back. Now I would be thrilled with it. And I don't know if that's a good thing overall. I, I don't know at all. So like, man, you know, the, the interesting thing, last thing I'll bring up about Ed, that it was interesting that to read in Bruce Feldman's column this weekend, that uh, he is getting the sense that Scott Woodward wants a change. That was reported on The Athletic. You know, Scott did not hire Ed. Scott came in. Ed won a national title. You know, they were the best of friends, I'm sure, for a little while there. I don't, you know better than me, their uh, interpersonal relations. Um, but it was interesting that, you know, Bruce, who is, um, you know, has, has been around Ed a lot, you know, has written a he book, wrote a with, book him. with him. He's, yeah, yeah. Hold a minute. They, they are, you know, and he's, he's reporting this as he should. And it's, um, it's, just, that was the first thing that like, it ticked off my mind, like nationally. It's like, Oh, so this is being brought up, not just, you know, uh, among tailgate convos and tiger droppings threads and whatnot that, uh, it's getting out there. It's getting very public. Uh, I feel like eyes will be on LSU after every game this year for the wrong reasons because people are just waiting on some hook to be pulled. And that's not a fun feeling. I don't want that to happen. I don't like that. Um, so, great stuff. Uh, well, yeah, and, and just to – I know, yeah, I mean, Bruce is a good reporter that it is, and him reporting it is just confirmation – of things we've yes. been saying on this show when I you know I've been saying for for weeks is and it's and it's real you know mm -hmm. I mean it's these conversations are being had and to be honest I got and I am the last person to ever be like I was criticized and how dare you but no I'm just I got like some really angry people at me over the summer when my state of the program piece pretty much led with the fact that 
Ed Ogeron is under pressure. Ed Ogeron admitted he is under pressure in the press conference and like talked about that and how this is a very big year. And a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? You are full of crap. Like they, I'm like, guys, if he has another down year, he is in trouble. And a lot of people yeah. were just so blind to that because he just won a title. And by the way, I don't deny that's insane that a guy can get fired. You know, because even last year, it's like, yeah, they were five and five. But they were five and five in SEC play. It is a slightly different thing. You know what I mean? Like, right. and right. all that. But it's just, it's not about fair or unfair. It's the off the field stuff on top of the on field product. And it's not just when an on field product doesn't look good. It's the way it's not not looking good. It's the messiness. It's the that weird fourth quarter. It's an offensive line that seems crazy. It's burning timeouts before the first play of the game when oh, deciding God. to drive. It's that was just, the most frustrating moment. I, yeah, I, it's just locker room stuff. It's just like it's not just that, and you need to understand that. So those conversations are happening. I don't know if it will happen. I do not know that. I don't know when it would happen. I don't know if I don't think Scott Woodward. I think if it was up to him, he would not like to fire a coach midseason. I, I think he would very yeah. much prefer not to. But And again, we'll see what happens. But sorry, long story short, I mean, and we said we're going to get to this, but it doesn't look better. And we'll point to Bill Connolly, who I, you know, kneel at the altar of. I love his work, analytic genius. And, you know, he, he has win probabilities for every game. And he combines them all for odds of finishing with X amount of wins this season. And right now, the, the three and two LSU Tigers have are most likely to finish six and six this season they have a 34 percent chance of that and they're more likely to go five and seven 28 percent than they are to go seven and five 22 percent they have a 36 percent chance of finishing under 500 this year and like a 70 percent chance of being six and six or worse like they are not favored by sp plus and again sp plus is just a computer it's not necessarily like gonna know everything they can easily win the Kentucky game. They can win the Florida game. They can beat Ole Miss. They can beat AM. All those are possible. But they are an underdog in every single game except AM, according to this. So the data just points to things not exactly being positive. So it's not just yeah. like Ed Ogeron's in trouble because he's three and two. It's he's in he's in we're saying the same thing over and over again. But he's in trouble because they're three and two and things look like they're about to get worse. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, to circle back to make our full point here, and I'm, I'm even throwing last year out the window, and I did think you made a good point of like, yes, we can throw last year out the window, we can blame it on a lot of stuff, but like, takes two to tango, and you know, it, there was reasons that it was bad. <laughs> like, you know, if LSU would have had a better defensive coordinator, maybe they would be seven and three. Who knows? But the last time that LSU went less than 500, was 1999. It was before Nick Saban got here. Jeez. Like even the down years are eight and five. That that's when it's bad. And according to Bill Connolly's fancy computer, the percent chance of LSU getting eight wins this year is eight percent. Yeah. Eight percent. Like getting to the floor of modern LSU would be a miracle at this point. And that just encapsulates where we all are. Not great. Not fun. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the game. You were you wrote a good story after the game. 
um, you know, we don't have to rehash all of the little stuff. I would like to talk about the offense and specifically the play calling. So, and you did mention it a little bit earlier, but I thought they had stopped doing the, uh, let's see what the defense is in and then put the play call in and then doing that. Did they not throw that out before the central Michigan game and then decided to bring it back in on the biggest game of the year? Am I, am I wrong there? I think it is. It was absolutely a mandate to go a faster tempo, to go warp more often, which is their like fast, fast tempo. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is absolutely a thing to push for. I don't know if they like got rid of it as an overall thing, but it was definitely something that Ojeon wanted to see less of. And yeah, they they twice in this game. And again, it's not like this just happened this one time and we're dunking on LSU. It's it happened twice this game. By my count, I've counted at least five, six, maybe seven times in five games. Am I crazy that that, that, that has had to happen where they've had to burn a timeout because of this? So You're not you, crazy. Yeah, just making sure. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's a thing where basically LSU, Jake Peets is trying to see what the defense is showing. And it's and Andy Staples has put this better than me, and he said it publicly and said, talked about it privately. We're like, it's... It's like I understand, and by the way, well, I, I want to get to this in a second. Jake Peets is, I think, a very smart mind who I actually think will eventually be a very, very good offensive coordinator somewhere. But the problem is I think he's trying to draw up the perfect play every time. And, the, and, and Ojan has basically alluded to this. When to some extent, especially when you're LSU and you have the talent you have, where you're going to be at a talent advantage against 90% of the teams you play, maybe more, just you don't need to pick the perfect play. The diff, like it is better to pick a play fast that will put the defense on its heels. That will be more productive than having a perfect play, but everyone's ready for what you're doing. And I think that's mm-hmm. the problem. And it's not even just about that part of it, which again I think it leads to at least less productive offense. But more importantly, it's led to this thing where you're having to burn timeouts and the play's not ready. Max Johnson's looking bad, but I don't think it's Max Johnson's fault at all. And it's uh, it's it's a really ugly situation, and it led to LSU getting legitimately booed with three minutes ago in the fourth quarter and a chance to win a game. It was a a wild scene. Yeah, it was awful like i i mean i don't think i was one of the ones booing but i was yelling internally booing i was because it was just like you know i i was thinking when you watch a good quarterback and the play clock's winding down and you know maybe somebody uh around you gets frustrated with it i would i would tell that person that actually makes me feel comfortable when somebody is doing that because they're reading more they're ingesting more data and like the best do that so when they bring it down to two seconds left on the play clock and they snap the ball, I have more confidence that they know what the defense is going to do and they're going to, you know, have a better play for it. And here I felt like they weren't even set until about 10 seconds left on the play clock and they weren't ready for anything. And then you got to call a timeout out of a change of possession. I mean, I don't understand how you do that. And in, in such a specific moment, and maybe there is pressure to put in the perfect play call and, I don't want to project onto what Jake Peets was doing because I, I don't know Jake Peets and I don't know what his process is like, but something has to be better there in that moment. And I, I don't understand how you haven't talked the entire time out and the entire other possession about what you're going to come out in. But that was frustrating, and that is something that needs to be fixed immediately if LSU wants to succeed at all. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you about and that you alluded to, I think, after the game in your article or in some tweets – it is the uh, the fallacy of the running game and the whole like. Did they they just they abandoned the run because they knew it would not work, or they didn't think it would work, and should they have just done it anyway? 
to waste more time? And I don't know if I have an answer because the pessimist in me says they knew they were going to get stuffed every time. Yeah. Why do it? But at the same time, they're dropping back eight people in coverage and Max is going to have to find the perfect slant or the perfect angle and hit the perfect spot for LSU to have any chance to succeed. And then all of a sudden you have like a 13 second drive. Yeah. So no, I think, no, sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is there. I mean, I don't, in hindsight, maybe we should have just run the ball a couple of times, see what happens, gain two yards, maybe three. And then I, I don't know. Would I rather third and five? And <laughs> I guess there's a higher chance that you get the first down with the pass because they had found success with the pass, but it was just so predictable at that point that it was just this miserable sides of two or two sides of a coin. No, it's something I, I've been, I wrestle with all the time is like, and it's, oh, it, I mean, shoot, you can even bring it to the Mike Leach thing of like, why does he not run the ball more when he's getting the most wide open boxes of all time? And it's really tough because, I mean, I even had, I was talking to staffers like before the game, like on the week leading up to it. And they were basically saying like, and this is just, you know, some staffer's opinion, not somebody who has like a say necessarily. And he's just like, we need to run the football. And they were already saying, they're like, you know, I, I just don't think that's Pete's priority. And it's tough because, to your point, I don't know what's right because they are 123rd in success rate, 120, 130th, and by the way, rushing success rate, 130th in rushing explosiveness. Like, it just, you have the evidence. It is there. It is not working. They're also getting stuff in the line of scrimmage more than, like, almost any Power 5 team. You just, it's not working. So, like, if they did it and it got stuff for one yard every play and you lose that way, you are getting dunked on beyond belief too, and then if, but at the same time, if you if you try to you know keep doing what you're doing, you saw what happened, and it's tough because what they were doing worked really well in the first half of like creating an offense without a run game. I mean, Johnson was like right. 13 of 20, 230 yards. Offense looked really good to me in the first half in a lot of yep. ways, and then eventually, yeah, like eventually, just the longer it goes where you're not running, Auburn, like you said, was able to drop more and adjust and just take that away so it's like and then johnson looked worse because he's put in situations where you know it it was tougher so i i don't know and i think i'm really struggling with that like it's the chicken or the egg and it's just like do you not should you just run it anyway i don't know because it's like you know it's like the kyle shanahan the falcons game thing where in the super bowl where it's like all right you didn't run the ball so now you're getting torched for not being but then if you ran the ball and it didn't work i'd be like why aren't you still attacking like it's you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. That's not me defending Pete's. It's just actually just me saying I haven't figured out what I think. The, but again, like I think the, the problem the, the, is. Oh, just go on. Yeah. I was gonna say there's a sad answer here is that both ways they lose. <laughs> you might be right, and that's the thing. It's like people are missing the point. Don't look at the end of the process. Look at the whole process, and it's like, what is wrong with this offensive line? That needs to be the story, as you alluded to earlier in the pod, like. This is a school of all schools that has literally had an iconic coach fired because he refused to move away from a true old school run game. This is the place that has been running the football. It's as synonymous with running the football as any of like, all, like it's like them, Auburn, Georgia, whatever, you know, like those are the yeah. ones that are just like known for that, Wisconsin. And you are now at a place where it's not just like, oh, they're not really running much. No, they are incapable. And that is just tough to wrap your head around. And there is a long you know, novella to be written about how it got here, right? Where it's it's recruiting. Yeah. And it's not just missing out on the big recruits. It's also, like, taking the wrong big recruits, you know, who, like, aren't actually the guys who fit your program or do the right things and actually get better. You know, I think 
that's the thing when you get in the stars matter debate that's like a huge thing that rubs me wrong way it's like scouting and research is part of it too it's like the ability to know patrick queen or clyde edwards alaire justin jefferson are gonna be better than their rating you know like and knowing that cardell thomas isn't gonna work out and every again this isn't i'm not trying to dunk on a 21 year old kid cardell thomas is a good kid by all indications but like yeah that's an example he was a top 10 recruit but you talk to any recruiting guy like any of them and they would have told you Cardell Thomas is not going to work out. The the data of history for decades tells you a high schooler weighing 350 pounds, it's like one out of 30 succeed. It's just the truth. And it's just like it's just stuff like that. And Cardell is not specifically why this offensive line is not doing well. But it, it's just like finding the right guys. And then when they get there, you know, and again, I don't know who you blame, but under James Craig, guys didn't get better behind the starters. And even the starters didn't improve that much. So it's it's recruiting. It's the kind of recruiting. It's development, all that stuff. And then the other thing is, and again, I'm going on another rant here, but it's not even just the talent of the O-line because that's not entirely fair either. You know, I've talked to, you know, some staffers who know offense and they're like, it's scheme too. And it's that, and it's not just like calling a run versus calling a pass. It's, it's structure of the offense and building things with your run game. And like they point out in 2019, LSU ran different schemes and they built play actions off the run game. And basically... It just doesn't seem like it's Jake Peets' skill set yet of knowing, again, I think he's a really smart mind. I think he's a really good passing mind, actually. I think he knows the passing game. But I just don't think he's there yet in terms of knowing how to build a comprehensive offense where one thing leads to the next and it all compounds off each other. You know, it's just not his comfort zone yet. So I think that's, it's more than just, they can't run. It's not knowing how to make one thing lead to another. I think you're right. I mean, it's, it is a whole system problem, which goes back to, you know, the future of the program. Uh, let's move on to this Saturday. And actually, let me just kind of jump in and say one more thing. Yes, absolutely. And it's just an interesting thing that somebody pointed out to me. And I think the person pointed out an example of uh, a story they had heard throughout the coaching ranks over the years of Mark Tressman when he was OC for the Raiders in the early 2000s. And... Basically, Al Davis came to him and said, like, you ha- I need you to take more shots, go for things more in the red zone, like, take more shots downfield. And the next game, what did he do? He did not take – he took zero shots downfield. He just did what he knew. He played conservative. He ran the ball, and he was fired the next week. And the point this person was bringing up to me was, at the end of the day, coaches just do what they're comfortable with. And when they're backed in a corner, they're going to do what they're comfortable with. And by the way, that was also a thing that I heard people say about Steve Ensminger in 2018. And it was like sometimes he didn't attack like he needed to because he wasn't that wasn't his comfort zone. And with Pete's, I think it's a little bit the inverse where he's not going to run sometimes because that's not his comfort zone. So Jake Pete's is backed into a corner right now and he's focusing on passing the ball. And I just think that's an interesting thing to keep in our minds as we go forward. Because again, I think Jake Pete's will be a really good coach someday. And by the way, I think Jake Pete's probably a good coach now. I just, I just don't think he's at the point yet where he is ready at, you know, his age and his experience to be like leading LSU's offense. And that's just really tough because things aren't one or the other. I don't, I don't think Jake Pete should be written off forever. I think he's done a lot of awesome stuff. It's just like I just don't think he's there yet in that sense. I agree, and I mean, we're not. The, the sad thing is, is that they, especially now, him and Durante Jones came into what now looks like a bad situation where. They are first-time coordinators expected to, especially at this level, expected to just come in and fix everything. And nothing short of perfect was going to be accepted. That's a great point. Really. And, and now they are developing under fire, you know. And 
if LSU wins that game, very winnable game on Saturday, a game that had won for 45 minutes. If LSU wins that game, I'm coming to you feeling optimistic. I'm saying, look, there's a lot of room for improvement. They still need to figure out the run game, but they figured out a way to win. You're four and one with two on. SEC wins. That looks good. Yeah, it, it it would have been great. And so the the hindsight is very easy, but still, the way they lost was just an indictment on everybody. So here we are. They didn't win. So this is this is the consequence now. Welcome, welcome to LSU. Welcome to the SEC. <laughs> welcome, welcome to this program. Let's move on. Let's let's move on to Kentucky. Um, Kentucky had a very impressive one on Saturday uh, against the Florida team that took Alabama to the wire, an Alabama team that looked like back to being world beaters on Saturday after maybe almost faltering in Gainesville and then beating the tar out of Lane Kiffin. So a very impressive one for Kentucky. Their defense looked good. Um, I'm not very confident about LSU's chances there. Tell me why I should be confident that LSU has a good chance to win. Yeah, I think it's tough because Kentucky falls in the category of just a team that is always really well coached. Mark Stoops is as good as anyone at that. Like They don't make big mistakes, things like that. They are just tough, and they're going to make life hard for you all day. And that probably doesn't go great with an LSU team that has like more like more talent but but has a bunch of flaws. Like That's not a great combination. But mm-hmm. I think you can find positivity in the fact that Kentucky, while 5-0, and is flawed. Like They, they, they aren't exactly... A team, even though they're five and zero, they're not exactly dominating games. They're winning a lot of ugly games, winning a lot of just like in the margins because they're better in the margins kind of games. And again, that might go against LSU, but it also means LSU if they show up can can absolutely win this game. I consider it a toss up because all right, you know their offense, for example, isn't exactly very good. You know they turn the ball over a good amount actually, which is pretty surprising for a Kentucky team. And they're not explosive or anything like that, you know. And and their defense isn't quite the Kentucky defense of other years. And I know they finally, you know, with with Liam Cohen, have a new, more modern offense, and it's opened things up for them. And I think that's why they're five and zero. Like it's a better offense than they've had, you know, in past years. But it's still not. It's like sixty first, yeah, sixty first in offensive SB plus. Like it's not a good offense yet. It's just a more modern one. So LSU's defense, quite frankly, I would argue, is playing really good football. I actually I consider yeah. it a good defense. Which hey. Remember before our first game of the year when we got a, our first argument where you were saying, I, like, you were arguing me for saying I think the defense is the strength and the offense is the weakness? Brody yeah, wins man. another one. I'm on a Birdie, heater. Brody won that one. And that Having a good makes year. Me, makes me sad on multiple fronts. After getting everything wrong in 2020, look at me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think the defense is in good shape. I think this is probably a good matchup in just some senses, you know, like defensively, because it's another team that moves the ball, but they're not explosive and they turn the ball over. So that kind of like fits what LSU kind of does better than anything. You know, LSU gives up explosive plays. So it helps that yeah. playing a team that doesn't create that as much. So yeah, I, I think LSU can contain Kentucky. And it's not, like I said, it's a good Kentucky defense and they don't make mistakes and they don't really allow any explosiveness. But it is at least, you know, I would argue it's probably a worse defense than Auburn, I'd say, you know, and okay. I, I think they might be not like drastically worse, like it's 30th in the country, but it's there might be openings for LSU to figure some things out there. So it's totally a winnable game. I think it's a dead even game. And it just comes down to does LSU improve offensively, which again, like that's the one thing in college football, like teams do get better. They might. And I think LSU's defense can contain them. So it should be at least a ball game. So you tweeted out uh, this stat from the Auburn game that LSU like had 13 true running attempts. How much would you bet they do more or less? Ooh, great question. 
Chris. Uh, I think Ed Ogeron is kind of in, like, meddling is not the word. He's the head coach. But, like, you know, like, he, I think he's going to make it clear. And he even said at one point today, like, and it was very coded, but it was smart. He was just like, we need to be committed to the run. And, I, and obviously, I think if you can read between the lines there, he's saying, like, it's not just this isn't working, get away from it. You just have to, like, do it and it will open other things up. So I think, kind of like the tempo discussion four weeks ago, I think they're going to mandate it. So I think there will be more rushes Saturday. Yes, that is my my long answer. Okay. What you, all right. I'm holding you to that. So over 13, you're smashing the over. <laughs> I mean, that's bonkers. 46 passes to 13 real runs. And I know people are, like, pointing out other stats of, like, 25. No, like, those were, like, sacks or, like, Johnson taking off running because the play was messed up. And, like, there was the 22-yard botch snap that technically counts as a run. Like, no, it was 13 true runs for, like, less than three yards of carry. But, yeah. Right. That was my weird tangent well, about how I hate how college stats are calculated. That had nothing to do I, with you. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I don't have it. Like, everything about Saturday is what we've talked about already. Let's see if they actually run the ball. And if they figure that out, like, if Lushy figures out how to run the ball, like, I think they have a much better outlook at looking at seven and eight wins this year. But I just don't have the faith that they're going to do it. And they're probably going to run into the line about 11 straight times on Saturday and then never run the ball again, if I had to guess. Maybe that's my hurt fan soul uh, lashing out there. Um, I'd like to give Corey Kiner the ball more. I mean, I, I don't know, some way to get it in his hands. I mean, is, are there any solutions there where they can create a running game without running in between the tackles? I mean, it, it <laughs> seems like they tried a few times, but it never really worked. And so, yeah, I'm Ed sure Ogeron Jake is a creative good. guy, but it's like, I, I, I don't know what you do with this. No, Ed has been pretty just constantly saying like we need to be more creative with the run and he talked today about needing to you know different sets and formations that could open things up like yeah you you have to just find ways and by the way you are seeing it a little bit like they haven't run with pulling guards and tackles in three years and they've been doing it a lot the last three weeks because Ed Ogeron pretty much demanded it and stuff like that like they are doing different things and like you said it actually has it, I would argue it's made it slightly better. Like, I know the run game was brutal Saturday, but they actually, I think, averaged more per carry against Auburn than they did a lot of other weeks, which is depressing. But, like... I mean, Corey Kiner averaged 4.4 a carry. Like, yeah. not... I mean, decent. That That is workable. 100%. No. I mean, I, I, I think I wrote that in Sunday's piece. Like, to some extent, the run game wasn't as bad as it looked other weeks. And, like, if they ran it, they would have been in... And John Max Johnson even kind of said this uh, after the game Saturday. He's like, we need to just kind of, like a little bit it's like you need to do it to just be in third and five instead of third and ten you know like that's that's football like that's you gotta be a more manageable third down so i i do think you just have to make it happen and also your defense they they screwed their defense over i mean i mean i know this is like the obvious thing it's like it was so obvious we basically haven't talked about it yet but they called 12 pass plays in the fourth quarter yeah it led to two three and outs another drive that was like one first down and then a punt and it cost him the game because the defense kept coming up clutch in the fourth quarter. They have a two-point lead. Offense goes three and out. Well, defense forces a three and out. Then they punt it. Then LSU gets the ball back. Has to punt again. Defense forces another third and out. And then, yep. then the LSU offense fails again. Eventually, the defense was just clearly tired, clearly worn down. And just it's also just a numbers game where like eventually Auburn was going to score. Because like you give them that many chances, eventually they're going to. And LSU had just as many chances and never did. So I'm sorry. My, my point to that was more just like 
they need to help the defense out because that defense at times looks really good, but you just yeah. need to run the ball to buy them a little time. Remember that was a huge discussion in 2019 about like your offense is this explosive, but you're hanging the defense out to dry a little bit. And I think there's, again, I think that argument is a little silly, but in this situation, you kind of, you need your defense. So kind of just buy them a little time. Yeah. Run the clock out a little bit. I know that's kind of cavemanish, but the rest isn't working. It's not. It's not. You're absolutely right. And like, the, to your point, I, I I did not comment on the defense. I was very proud of what the defense did. You know, I I think they the defense did more than enough to win the game. I thought they played really well outside of being unable to tackle Bo Nix. But that was, I can't even get mad at them for that. I mean, the touchdown pass. I think they should have tackled him about four times. Yeah, that I was the only five one. Five missed defenders. It was amazing. It, but Bo was on some weird shit that like I. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. It, there was some some weird, gross magic happening there that I hated. No, and I mean, what's my like thing I repeat every week on the show is like, what's replicable and what's like an outlier? Like LSU's pass rush got pressure every snap. So every time, it's like when I'm looking at this from the macro, I think I'm probably gonna more be like their pass rush is good and just some wild shit happened. You know, like, to to your point. So I agree. Bo Nix happened. So, um, yes, the defense was great. They should be proud. Shout out to Durante Jones. Like, and also, can we talk about how much... has them in the right spot. I keep cutting you off. I apologize. No, no, no. But, let's go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, can we talk about how much better the back seven has looked lately? Mm-hmm. I mean, the front I mean, four... Cordero really, Flott is here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a profile of him basically written, and we decided not to publish it. And now I'm like, well, I wish I published that, but maybe it'll run another time. But, the whole game, I kept turning to people and being like, well, man, it's here. Like, he... He He's was good. getting tor- he was getting torched up a little bit the last couple of years. Just like uh, I mean, he was young. He was kind of thrown into a lot of high leverage situations, and now he, he he has a lot of experience. And I have full confidence in him out there. Especially, uh, this will be a, a question for you with uh, Derek Stingley still out. I assume he's going to still be out for a few more weeks, yeah. if not longer. Have you heard anything more on that front? Nothing new, just that, yeah, I think it'll be at least a few more weeks and then they'll make the decision when he's healthy. But, you know, and we've, we've, we touched on that last week. But, yeah. no, the flat thing, I mean, seriously, he's a guy who Dave Aranda once told the ESPN broadcast crew in 2019 when he was a true freshman and Stingley was mm-hmm. the All-American and all that. He kind of said once, he's like, I, I would argue Cordell Flott's our best cover defensive back right now. And it was kind of like, what? He's like the fourth guy. He was good. And then there was expectations for him last year. And, again, I think Cordell Flott falls in the – the Jay Ward camp. Remember, we talked about how Jay Ward it looked really bad because the safety screwed him over every time, and it looked like yeah. it was Ward's fault. I think Flott probably had a few more just actual mistakes than Ward did, but it was a lot of that same thing of they didn't get him, so it looked like he got beaten. That's not the truth. And go back and watch, like I want to say, the Arkansas game, the Florida game, and the Ole Miss game. I think are the ones that come to mind. Cordell Flott was like making like grown man tackles and like yeah. flying around even last year in some of those plays. And like that guy is a skinny little twig, and there is a history of him making real tackles. So yeah. now you're seeing him be like LSU's surest tackler on the team. He's in intercepting passes. He has become a really, really good. I mean, I would put in a vote for him for all SEC right now if I, you know, if I had to say it right this second. So he's really I full, good. I got full confidence in him. Full confidence. Yeah, and Eli Ricks is still good and Dwight McLaughlin. I mean, he probably makes some errors, but he is not a problem. Like, that back seven's playing good football. Ward and Burns have been really good. It's been noticeable since Ward has been back how much more mm-hmm. secure that, that back is. And, hey, credit where it's due. A guy I've, like, made jokes about over the years because he's still there. 
Cam Lewis is a competent football player now. Like yeah, he yeah. he's not going to make some huge play, but he's a he knows how to tackle, and he's allowed them to play three safety looks and does a good job. So anyway, that was just like me trying to throw in some positive on a dark episode. I've been really impressed with Dronte Jones is done with that secondary, especially without Derek Stingley. I mean, the whole defense is good on Saturday. You're right. I mean, they they were just straight up good, and the weird, like yeah, Alabama magic boy Bo Nix had had the wrong thing so that's fine I just I just keep coming back there's there there is some like I'm drained I'm zapped a little bit it's hard for me to 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 chin up after something like that and you know maybe LSU will come out and win 31-7 on Saturday and I'll be back in the in, in the twister of emotions but Right now, I'm feeling pretty down about the, the direction of everything, and uh, I don't know. We'll see. Right now, the, the, the proverbial watermelon is, is, is not looking ripe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I think we found out, the, what was it, worms? Yeah, there, there are worms Yeah, ants, ants, worms ants, in you, there, ants, yeah. whatever. I think the answer uh, is there are ants in there. I think you know. Here's, here's the last thing. I, I, I threw this on there, but this, this news just came out right before we started recording. <laughs> That was my breaking news. Florida and LSU is an 11 a.m. kick at home, two marquee names in a space reserved for the basement dwellers. And can I tell you if anything is more of an indication of where we are and maybe where Florida is, to be honest, I don't know. I think their losses are a lot better than LSU's, but uh, potato, potato, um, 11 a.m. kick in Death Valley for LSU, Florida feels like some weird uh bizarro world stuff that i don't i don't want to be a part of yeah i mean that's i think you you hit it on the head it is not like what world would lsu florida ever (laughs) have been in an 11 a.m game until right now that is a sign of it's it's a conversation i keep having about when you and i have had about how the sec west is deeper than ever and there are no bad teams in the sec west and everybody's at least pretty solid and like and then i keep having to catch myself and be like well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe LSU is the weak team this year. And I know that's like a little dramatic. I don't actually like really think they're like what Arkansas used to be or whatever. But that yeah. is how you have to think about it now. Like, no, they are the bottom. If you don't know who if you don't know who the 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 mark is at the table, you are the mark. And like that I think that's kind of the situation. LSU getting eleven AM games, Florida getting eleven AM games. You need to look in the mirror a little bit. And maybe more damning is why is Kentucky and Georgia, the 230 game, which is, you know, the big slot, it's because they're assuming Kentucky's beating LSU. Think about yep, that. Yep, that's absolutely true. They yeah, think so. Kentucky is going to beat LSU, and it's going to be a big game against a team that probably should be number one in the country. But I know, this is not but a Georgia, it was, this it is, is not notable. a Georgia football podcast. <laughs> but it is notable that I actually noticed people throwing a fit less than they never, ever, ever had. And you want to know, I think, why? Because they know... If they want to get a better slot, you got to win football games. <laughs> they're yeah. not like they have no one to blame but LSU, so they're not even mad at this. The is, this is time. the Jefferson Pilot slot. Did you did you ever watch games on Jefferson Pilot growing up? Like I know you, well you, aware of it, but that you was probably did. It, it was yeah, yeah. Yes, it was like. I mean, the cameras were worse, but it was like this homey feeling. I felt like I was uh, turning the dial on my 1974 TV or something when they'd come on, and it was Mississippi State Vanderbilt, and you had the two Daves calling it. And it was reserved for people below our standard, Brody. That Kentucky. was it. That was Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky. So how the turntables. Um, 
let's get into predictions. I'm going to let you go first because I need to formulate my thoughts a little more and stop being depressed. But tell me what you think is going to happen on Saturday. You know, I've had some talks to other people at the company and like who are smarter people than me. And they were kind of saying like they actually predicted beforehand they were going to lose to Auburn, beat Kentucky. And, and I think there's some validity to that, especially for the reasons I outlined. Like I do think this game's a toss up. LSU's going to try to bounce back all that. But I don't know, man. I, I think I am deep down just think Kentucky finally has a, a competent offense and I don't and I just think Mark Stoops I, I mean I know I just said their turnover numbers so I might be talking out my ass here but but at the same time like I just kind of think Mark Stoops is going to outcoach this game and I think I go Kentucky wins like a 27-21 game fair I also not confident like- at all yeah, I think it's a toss-up. I, I, I do. Um, I don't have the confidence that LSU is going to pull it out because I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, maybe LSU feels less pressure that they're not coming big th- for this big home game. You know, they look they looked good for longer of the game in Starkville than they did on Saturday in Tiger Stadium to me. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think Kentucky wins on a on a last second field goal. Twenty four. What if they won on a Hail Mary just to, you know, for some demons? Don't say that. Why, why would you mess with my childhood memories that way? This is one of my favorite memories. Because it's funny? Yeah, I guess so. I guess. Dude, I root for a team that literally six wins is like a miracle. I'm allowed to make fun of your team that has three championships in 20 years. I don't feel bad for you. That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, I'm down right now. I'm, I'm wiping my tears with my money and my championship rings. And I'm saying, woe is me. But still... I there's just they don't have the mojo to to make me think man and maybe they find it maybe but I've I've said this for the last three weeks I'm I'm waiting for Coach O the motivator to really light a fire under them and and have them you know go up twenty eight nothing in the first half like nothing would please me more I just I don't feel it not yet I would love for them to show me that but put it on twenty four twenty three Kentucky and then. We're gonna have a real fun week after that if that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's not. It's a very different podcast next week. It's a. Uh, it is no longer a hypothetical. It's a the things become reality conversation. But I mean, shoot though. Literally a week ago, as we were wrapping our podcast, the theme of it was we were gonna find out what LSU is for sure after this game. And I think we we are not saying that anymore. I think we have our answer, don't we? Like, if it does yeah. anything different, it will surprise us. But I mean, yes, it's just the unfortunate reality. But they're good enough to beat Kentucky, no doubt. Now, I, I want to end on this because I think end this it. is a good indicator. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to tell me, give me a report on sources and whatnot. Um, like, if they lose two straight, do you think that the noise gets too much for? And to stick around the rest of the year. Um, I don't think Scott Woodward is somebody who makes decisions based on noise or PR or anything. I think if there's anything that's been proven about Scott Woodward, he is a very macro thinker and is a very bottom line thinker. It is not going to make like an impulsive decision based on how it looks. He is going to almost in a, you know, Belichickian way, not to put him on that level, but like, Look at the bottom line, and he will make the decision when it, like, almost in a daddy way, you know, like, 
to, to make the decision when it is the more beneficial decision to LSU to make that decision. You know what I mean? So I don't think he's going to be in a rush to cut ties midseason um, like just to do it because it seems like it's time. I think if he doesn't see a clear benefit to doing it early, like I don't, I just don't see him rushing that. But yeah, if you go one and four, zero oh and five, these next five games, I don't think it's. I, I yeah, I think it's very possible. I, uh, but I, I don't think he's going to do it just to do it. Does that does that make sense? It totally does. I just and like I don't want it to get there, but I just it's back of the mind now. I mean, it's just it, it's everywhere and. I don't enjoy that it's a running thing. And so I'm curious as to when that might change, if not. So that's it. Um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I love um, this version of you, Chris. <laughs> dude, just dude, a sad sure? like ending of your voice. Just like, yeah, man, man this is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, I have a bunch of friends going to Lexington. I'm kind of bummed I'm not going. Uh, I'm going to be at Keeneland doing... on Friday throwing money around and losing it. It's going to be wonderful. You. All right. Okay. Keep in mind, well, my whole uh, family is Kentucky alums and uh, lives in the Cincinnati area. So I well, will be. H- Homer alert, huh? No, I, I'm not a, a Kentucky fan at all. issues? I, I went to Indiana. Kentucky's like a I'm rival, joking. actually. Joking. Uh, yeah. No, but I will be going a day early and I will be hitting up Keeneland and I'll be having a fun weekend. Well, I hope you have fun while I pace around my living room on Saturday night. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. I, okay. Yeah. I'm just going to remind you of your championship two years ago. I don't feel bad for you. That's fair. That's fine. I'm hoping, look, I'm going in hoping for 28 nothing in the first half <laughs> and then coast to a 28-13 victory after they pass the ball 74 times. So I don't care. I want to win. I don't think there's going to be a win, but I want to win. Um, I think that'll do it. Anything else to add, Birdie? No, buddy. I hope you have a wonderful week. All right. Everybody that stayed with us please rate us a bunch of stuff and you know what if you made it this far can you please send me a tweet and tell me everything's gonna be okay <laughs> okay all right thanks guys see you, see you guys next week